0: Roger Kuhn considers himself a Soma cultural therapist as he focuses on the body and its relation to culture and how that in turn shapes, challenges, and ultimately influences our experiences. He comes from mixed upbringing with Native American roots and is a contributing author of the book, Diverse Bodies diverse practices, and he's currently completing a PhD in human sexuality with a focus on the intersectionality of technology and intimacy. Okay, Roger, thanks so much for being with us here today. Um, As we were kind of just talking about, I'd love to hear about your journey to becoming the therapist you are today how you got into psychotherapy and sort of just where your, your interests lie.
1: Yes, thank you. Well, um, my background uh, prior to uh, therapy was in corporate America, and I worked for nonprofit philanthropies for quite some time, and I really needed to transition out of the corporate world. And so I, um, a colleague of mine one day said, I'm going to massage school. And I thought, that just sounds so random and lovely. <laughs> Maybe I could do that. Um, So I did, I went to massage school, and what I learned was um, when I would touch clients, certain parts of their bodies, there would be emotional releases. Um, Very unexpectedly, they would start to cry, or they would wince, or they would, um, and they said, oh my gosh, you know, something happened to me when I was a child, or uh, I experienced trauma there, I fell off a bike, or what have you. So I was recognizing that the body held all these stories. And um, from there, I transitioned to yoga, and I became a yoga teacher, and same thing would happen after class. Students would come up and say, you know, I was in pigeon pose, and I had this emotional release, and they'd want to talk to me about it. And I thought, well, like massage and yoga, now people want to tell their body stories. So um, the best thing that I could do would maybe fulfill that dream that I had and actually become a therapist. So I went and studied somatic psychotherapy, which is a form of body-oriented therapy. And so now I refer to myself as a soma cultural therapist, which means that I'm interested in the body and the culture around it that helps shape and inform the way we see the world. Um, studying somatics, being connected to the body naturally, led me to inquire about sex. Um, And sexuality from my perspective. We can't separate the two Uh, We have to include the body when we talk about sexuality and we have to include the body when we talk about sex Because most of us use our bodies when we have sex Um, (laughs) So it made the most sense to me to be a somatic sex therapist
0: and of course as you mentioned the body plays a big part in sex Um, But there's also just so much of it that goes back to the mind for example I'll never forget When I first heard that Christopher Reeves, who played Superman, um, he, despite being paralyzed from the shoulders down, was still capable of achieving orgasm. How One, how incredible is that? And two, it made me think how reinforcing that is for the theory, which I also greatly believe in, that how much is sex in the end, more about the mind than it is about the body. So I wonder that while there is this label of, as you mentioned, sex therapy that people are really drawn to, if oftentimes, as we know, their issues actually go back to psychological ones, um, sometimes completely unrelated to sex or even their relationship. I just kind of love to know what patterns Uh, You have seen and often do see there.
1: Well, we call that a psychogenic uh, sexual issue. So it's including the mind and the body. Um, And in my work, I see mostly psychogenic cases. So all of my clients have already, um, not necessarily the couples I work with desire, but for people that have ejaculatory concerns or erectile issues, like in the case of Reeves, for example, uh, most likely, he had pedundal nerve damage, what innervates, innervates the erection capacity. I'm not sure if he had some type of vibratory device that helped him achieve the erections. I don't know too much about his, his um, case so much. Um, but for myself, I can say that when clients come in with psychogenic issues, we have to include the totality of their experience from their mind to their body and, if applicable, their spirit, whatever that means for them. Whenever I see someone that is an individual, for example, um, someone that came in and talking about the sex life between their and their partner, I always say, where is your partner? Mm -hmm. What is it about um, your relationship that they didn't come with you? If, If this is about the sex between the two of you, I always ask, why are we not doing couples therapy? And that gives me really interesting information about the communication between them. Sometimes I'll hear, well, my partner thinks it's my issue. Um, I have generally found that it uh, it's a bit cliche to say, but it does take two uh, or more, <laughs> depending mm-hmm. on your style. Um, and in that case, I want to meet the partner at least once, maybe twice, to have a conversation with them, to include them in the healing of the sexual vitality.
0: Yeah, I love that part about kind of sharing... Um and involving the partner that that you strive for. So then, to help us learn how to recognize some of this for ourselves, I'm wondering if you could give us some examples of of cases where the issues are traced back to something outside of the bedroom.
1: That's where the culture piece comes in. Um, Because uh, culture as we know it is work, is religion, is family, is the community in which you live in. Um, Oftentimes in this city, San Francisco, we have very high achievers um, who are working in these really high companies. And so the stress that they're feeling, um, oftentimes the anxiety seeps into the bedroom or wherever they're having sex uh, in in the state of performance anxiety. So for them, it's about literally, um, can you slow down, whatever that means for them, because that could be a very triggering word for a lot of people when you say slow down. Um, but to get them to to pay attention enough, to be mindful enough, to tune into their body through their mind, to be able to sense when they're expanding and when they're contracting. And it's that state of contraction that most of us aren't able to perform sexually. Because it's if you think about when when you squeeze your body really tight, um, it is a vasoconstriction of the blood. And for anybody that experiences any person with a penis that experiences any type of erectile issue, you're not going to get the blood flow down there if you're constantly walking around in a state of contraction. So it's about allowing the clients to also recognize that you might have a work uh, or a home life factor. And if it's high anxious, you're most likely having some micro um, contractions you may not even be aware of because you do it so much. So it's about bringing awareness to how the environment um, or the cultural aspect they're uh, participating in might be leading to that body issue. Right.
0: So while you mentioned stress um, and you sometimes also talk about technology within the scope of sexual imagery or porn and sometimes people find sex with their partner, for example, more stressful than masturbation or using porn. Um, So a bit off topic, but just the other day, somebody asked me for advice, and I'd love to hear your insight on this. Basically, a male friend in regards to his female partner, he found himself in the opposite situation that he had expected, given stereotypes, where he was basically curious about perhaps concerned about but maybe more jealous of his partner's porn habits you know he wanted to know why she was watching was she actually attracted to them or was it more just you know a means to an end um more of that just animal instinct or reaction to stimulating content of whatever kind um so basically, I just wanted to see if you might have any insight on that topic for him.
1: So I've always been interested in less the why are you looking at that image, but what is it about that image that is so exciting to you? And oftentimes when we can reframe the question with couples as opposed to the why, the why is going to put you on defense. And now I have to defend this image or this video that I like. If you ask me what I like about it, I'm much more akin to turn to you and say, well, and then explain to you what it is that I like. And perhaps that might lead to a conversation of, what would that be like if you and I did that together? Mm-hmm. As opposed to feeling like, um, why are you doing that? You're only ever gonna get that from the computer. You'll never get that from me. Mm-hmm. It sends the signal then that, that to that person that what I desire is wrong. Uh, What I desire, what I like is ugly, nasty, dirty, um, and therefore the only kind of sex and the only kind of pleasure that I can have with my partner is somewhat transactional. And I will fake the connection, but it's really more transactional because I'm not actually able to bring my fantasy in.
0: Right. So not seeing them as kind of mutually exclusive. Yeah opportunities or experiences mm-hmm. but seeing them as like kind of a window into the other in terms of how we right. learn from them and incorporate that's them. right
1: um, what I have what I have found in just my work is that it's usually never the sexual imagery it's never the device the technology itself it's the lack of communication with either the partner or partners if they're in multiple partner relationships or open relationships um, and also how we're communicating with the self if I'm if I'm if I'm denying myself that sexual pleasure um, As we chatted about earlier, it yeah, I just gotta I have to, to it. put in the plug
0: like learning about yourself Having <laughs> right. to understand yourself in order to connect more deeply with other people and it all comes back to yes, communication. It, does. it
1: comes back to communication. So how do we learn to communicate? Um, sexually or how do we begin to communicate around intimacy with our partner, they're, they're different things. Um, sometimes they go together. Uh, but right now, I like to think that we're having an intimate moment. Uh, it's not a sexual moment, we're talking about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes for, for couples that I work with, that idea is so um, strange to them that intimacy and sex coexist, but they also have their own lane right and so i always want to find out each couple or each individual i work with what is your operational definition
0: right absolutely because otherwise from there you don't even know kind of you could be talking about the same thing but in reality two completely different concepts that's right
1: and it's so critical in my work that i am not projecting my ideas of intimacy or even sex onto my clients all right what does intimacy mean what does sex mean and then oftentimes i get like well sex is you know intercourse is it really is that all it is
0: yeah and Mm -hmm. then it
1: gives them that opportunity to sort of take a step back and go well maybe not
0: Mm, that'd be a boring answer (laughs) That's that's right i'd love to know what your operational definition of intimacy is
1: i think it changes every day And it changes on who I'm with. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the quickest sort of hit that I could get, I would say that intimacy is the moment um, or a moment in which I feel um, the totality of my humanity is witnessed by another or myself. Sometimes my clothes are on, sometimes they're not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's how I think I would define it
0: love that deep definition but i love how you included with the self because intimacy with yourself is one definitely a thing and again kind of the base to build the rest upon
1: and if we tie in the technology piece now so many folk are experiencing intimacy with their devices outside of you know using it for sexual imagery content but there's an actual relationship you know i'm i'm so interested if if you and i are going to hook up on tinder or something right and all I've ever known of you is this, this, this relationship. And now suddenly it's our first date and I have to look at you. Holy shit. Just that. Oh, can I swear. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, just like that moment of first looking up now I'm in a contracted state. So if I'm going to go on a date with you, I'm not going to show up and be like, Hey, what's up? How are you? Good to see you. I'm gonna do this, yeah. and now I'm completely vulnerable in a way with, that I've never been vulnerable with you before. Mm-hmm. So technology, sort of, we, we miss that. Mm-hmm. And we're either going to evolve as humans to have some sort of C curve in our, in our spine and our neck that's even more pronounced over the years of doing this, yeah. or we're gonna recognize that this actually drives us farther apart from one another than it brings us closer. But hopefully, with what you're doing, You'll find a way to bridge that because I find that that's what's really missing. It's, like it's not, again, it's not the devices, mm-hmm. it's the way in which we engage with them, it's how we communicate to each other through them and with ourselves, how we communicate with that. Um, but because it's so new and so fresh, I don't think as a species we've understood what that fully looks like yet. How do we fully grasp technology in a way that is useful, that promotes intimacy? Um, but also celebrates individualism and community at once.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. Um, goals. Um, but ironically, while we're speaking of intimacy and in technology, in its own definition, intimacy as knowing someone closely, some might argue that our phone knows us more intimately than, than anyone else. But then... As we're now starting to see the kind of consequences of this constant connection and reliance on technology, not to mention addiction to, there's also this thing we're seeing this sort of regression happening with phone cleanses, retreats, with zero technology. And I just read this article the other day that talks about um, the wage gap through the lens of technology and it basically says that it's it's not what we expected it to be so that while the upper class used to have high tech in their schools kids with ipads iphones all of that they're now getting rid of it and returning to the waldorf method um, no cable at home playing you know physical games art connection focus things like that meanwhile The article states that in lower-class neighborhood schools, they are still focusing on ramping up their technology programs with these individual devices. And so basically, it brings up the point that if you dig deep enough into all of this, it brings up the question not if there is a technology gap, as we had prior worried about between classes, but with these changes and this new trend going in opposite directions, it brings up the point whether or not this could actually lead to an intimacy gap, which could actually be much more detrimental.
1: If, if, there's, if there is a tool of division amongst us, it is probably this or you know these devices in some way. Because we can look at what happened in the last election, and we can look at how, like, these platforms are sort of used in these ways to um, manipulate people's viewpoints, whether whatever side or world you're in um, can really shift the way that people feel either connected or isolated. And essentially, intimacy is about that it's about connection and isolation. Do you feel connected? Do you feel isolated? So, if we're not careful, um, technology is going to become that collapsed bridge of intimacy which is again why what you're trying to accomplish is so crucial and important because if you can find a way to build that bridge imagine where else that could be useful in so many other capacities
0: so I know this is an impossible question which is why I'm going to ask you but would you say that um, would you say that technology is better or worse for intimacy is it a good thing or is it a bad thing
1: I think anything that brings us together when used in the right way is a good thing. Um, Emphasis on used in a good way. Um, I love the fact that I can connect with friends of mine all over the world. I love the fact that clients of mine who maybe aren't from the Bay Area can FaceTime with their family or loved ones around the world. Um, I love that I can order things <laughs> online. <laughs> I love that you can find me. I love that people can find found out about my work um, or that I can find out about the work that you're doing because of technology. Mm-hmm. It gives us access in a way that, um, in, in in some regards, it it evens out the field a little bit. We don't have full equity yet, um, and there's not fully equality on, on on with technology either, and so we can also, if we go back to politics, we can look at this most recent cycle and think of like Alexandria, um, Octavia Cortez, and sort of look at like how that social media, the way that they were using social media, revolutionized that campaign. Same with Barack Obama, uh, revolutionized these campaigns. So we can say like, yeah, actually, there are a lot of positive things that can come can come out of people can learn about sexuality in different ways, or for people that are um, non-binary, gender queer folk, to have community, how amazing that is. And then for people that I work with that might have um, what the DSM would categorize as a kink or a fetish, that there's something like fet life or places where they can go and feel like, again, an intimate connection with somebody else that might be into a particular sexual actor behavior. Um, so it's all of those things. And then All the other stuff that we sort of relegate to um, challenging behaviors.
0: And kind of going back to what BBXX tries to do is use the online to like give people knowledge or share Mm. stories to enable offline intimacy, which is kind of how you mentioned we were able to connect. Yes. And now have this... Offline, somewhat online, <laughs> but offline intimate experience, intimate conversation because of that technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the types of issues that you most commonly see with this intersection of of intimacy and technology that maybe some of our listeners can relate to and and learn from?
1: The thing that I hear the most is get off your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I also see issues with um, technology, in particular around. Um, Text messages and tone, really? um, <laughs> which comes up a lot. You when know, there I, is no tone, there's to no a text tone. message, That's which right. is the whole problem. Like, I didn't like your tone.
0: Right. Oh, there's this amazing clip of these two comedians, Keem Peel. Mm-hmm. And the video is basically just about the absurdity of misreading texts and tone, even though there isn't any. And so the video goes back and forth between them, and one of them, you know, ask about going to dinner or something like that and um one guy busy whatever responds like yeah sure dude i don't care and on the other end his friend then is flipping out reading it as sure dude i don't care oh you know and it it's it's just perfect (laughs) it's just probably exactly what you're talking about
1: that's right so that is probably one of the bigger issues that then i kind of have to say to them like now if y'all want to pay me to sit there and talk about a text message go for it Mm -hmm. Um, but is that really what you're here for to talk about the tone of a text message let's talk about communication let's talk about what got you to that point where you're thinking in your mind that your partner has a tone problem against you Uh, that's the issue right Um, because we could just bypass and go into Tonality, if you will, but text messages. You know, one of the things that um, I think about in my work um, is prosody, which, is, if you know what that is, it's it's basically like the sing-songy tone of one's voice, which we miss in a text. Right. You don't get the highs, or the lows, the inflections. That's the right. prosodic quality of one's uh, uh, communication. Um, And so, until we figure that out, or until we start sending audio recordings to our partners... I'm
0: (laughs) trying. I'm single-handedly trying to make audios happen in the United States, and no one is on board. They're super popular in Latin America, and normal, versus people here think I'm a total weirdo. But anyways, I fell in love with them living there and also for example for work if i need to sit down and type up an email for 20 minutes mm-hmm. or if i can just record three minute audio from anywhere on the go explaining everything even better and with tone why would i not do that it's also way more entertaining And especially in relationships, if you don't have time to jump on the phone and audio is a million times better, more personal, more intimate. Um, So I'm trying to make it happen, but I will say that the iMessage user experience is terrible in comparison to WhatsApp. So it's a struggle. But anyways, whether it be via text message, audio, or in person, as you mentioned, it's all about communication and teaching your clients that importance. So, what would be some actionable advice we could give to our listeners today in regards to that?
1: Yes. So, um first off, operational definitions key. What do you mean by intimacy? What do you mean by sex? Um I'm reading a really great new book right now by Brené Brown. I'm going to butcher the title, but it's something about leading. Um and in there, she asks a question where she says, "What does done look like?" And I thought, oh, I'm going to start asking that to my clients. So um, when it comes to intimacy, you know, what does done look like? When you've had an intimate moment, how will you know? What does that look like to you? Um, And and letting them actually start to visualize these things, play that out a little bit. Um, When there's desire discrepancy, I like to use something called a sex menu um, that comes from the work of Ian Senza, which literally um, can be quite literal um, appetizer main course dessert. And it Anything can be in that. So you could use technology in any of those stages. But say um, if I were if you were my partner and my appetizers might be, you know, send me some fun text throughout the day to sort of get me in the mood. Or, um, and then maybe in my in my main course is intercourse and maybe in my dessert is taking a shower afterwards. Um, and really, that's how I begin to flow uh, fantasy um, and conversation around sex and sexual behavior with my partners, get them to talk about it. Usually, if I'm in the room um, and they've they've worked together for we've worked together for a while, so they feel less awkward about that. Because if they're not having that conversation at home, can you have it here? If you can't have it here, that gives me tons of clinical information. Uh, but if I can if I can help them facilitate a conversation around uh, around sex, um, and then we actually make it happen. Um, I use something called Sensate Focus, um, which is a fairly well-known somatic technique created by Masters and Johnson, which really gets people um, literally physically uh, touching. It was originally created for um, heterosexual couples that weren't having intercourse. Um, In my work, I, I don't privilege intercourse or heterosexual identity. So if I have straight couples, I always say, you don't have to fuck at the end of this. You might want to, but you don't have to. Or if I work with um, same gender couples, it's the same thing. Like you don't have to privilege intercourse with this. Just be together, touch, discover your partner. Maybe they'll learn something new about their body. I guarantee you, you will learn something about their body by this exercise. Um, so it's it's less about um, you know, when it's when it's the two of them. It's less about the technology when it's uh, in the bedroom, unless they want to incorporate. Um, you can you can use these things for so much. Play music off of them. Um, you can control lights with them. You can you can watch sexual imagery with them. You could record yourself if that's part of your play. So you can use technology in in ways that again foster the intimacy as opposed to separate the intimacy a bit.
0: And so, how could some of these um, communication techniques and what people learn and hear in a sexual context also be applied outside of that? How can we take some of those same communication techniques and kind of globally apply them throughout a relationship
1: so if we think about um anything that's outside of say dysfunction um and a physiological dysfunction um, so if it's a psychogenic issue um or desire discrepancy issue as we've been chatting about it comes back to communication so if you can learn how to communicate with your partner about pleasure imagine the conversations you can have with your boss about a promotion you want or um, uh, if you're in a um, like at a, trying to get a discount and you can effectively learn how to communicate with somebody, these tools are applicable all over the place. I just happen to focus on it through the lens of sexuality, but they're transferable skills. The same skills that I learned um, in grad school about how to be or how to do therapy, I've taken those exact same skills and just put sex, phrases around them. It's the same thing. Communication is essentially the same thing. Whether we speak a different language or we're from a different culture, there are different ways to communicate. Uh, But the message and the way that um, from my American perspective or my American-trained perspective of psychotherapy, I hope that my desire is that it lands the same for everyone. And the way that my hope is that it lands is in that space where we feel good.
0: Yeah, and I think it's so interesting. I read um, Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Workweek, Um, totally unrelated, but he talks about getting comfortable in uncomfortable situations. So I often tell people that learning how to communicate about sex, pleasure, or about finances in a relationship is the same, is just as difficult, or about like basically any uncomfortable situation, a promotion as you mentioned. Um, So Tim Ferriss gives the challenge to people to ask for an upgrade that you don't deserve or have the miles to qualify for, Mm -hmm. which again is just that concept of getting comfortable outside your comfort zone, be it in your relationship workplace or elsewhere so going back and as we get ready to wrap up um i'd just love to know if you could tell our listeners what are some of the biggest takeaways that you've learned from your research
1: technology is always shifting so what's current today may not be current tomorrow um and technology, um, creates a void in communication when we think it's building a bridge. Uh, So even though we may have um, sent a text message, um, I don't know anybody yet who doesn't like the personal. Um, So if I'm sending you a text message that says happy birthday, um, I imagine if I were able to see you in person and say happy birthday to you, it would land differently. and, and also in, in this way of, um, as you shared earlier, don't be afraid to ask for an upgrade. Um, don't be afraid to ask for an upgrade. Meaning that if you want a relationship outside of text messages or outside of Facebook or Instagram DMs, ask for it. Let your partner know that this is fun um, and could we have an offline conversation? Or with a friend, can we have an offline conversation? Or with a family member? Just to connect. To remember, again, um, how we got to the point where we did. We, we, we evolved as a species because of communication. And we're continuing to evolve as a species because of communication. But let's not lose the heart-to-heart that's also so important and so valued in our culture.
0: Yes. Ah, I love that. Um, I'd also just love to say that As you just mentioned, technology is constantly changing, Um, but I'd love to say that so is our intimacy throughout our life, throughout different circumstances or phases, obviously throughout different relationships, but also certainly even within the same one. Um, But sometimes people think, for example, oh, I don't need to work on my relationship. It's already great. Or they look at somebody else's and think that they have such a great and stable relationship. They must not need to work on it or they don't need BBX sex because everything's already perfect. But the irony is that they probably have that amazing, stable relationship because they are constantly working on it. Or I don't want to call it work, but I'll say caring for it um, and working with the changes in their lives, in their intimacy, in their relationship. Um, and while that can be so difficult, to constantly kind of be addressing that evolution the beauty of all that is how much we then get to learn and grow because of it and become stronger because of it that is if we make the conscientious effort to work or care for it as much as we care about it Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to the BBXX podcast. You can learn more on our website or on our social media at BBXX.world. And if you believe in what we're doing, please do help spread the love by sharing this with someone you care about. Until next time.